Welcome back to another episode of Disciplology, a podcast where we talk about all things discipleship. Mary and Chris, it's good to see you guys again this week. We have a special guest, Scott Falls, is joining us to talk about gentleness. Um, your latest book, A Gentle Answer. Uh, when I read this book, I had some ideas going into it that it's going to be very passive response. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a guy that likes to debate. I love to mm-hmm. argue. I love to twist words and rhetoric and mm-hmm. win mm-hmm. that debate. Uh, this was not a passive response of an answer. It is a very active response of gentleness. Yes. What was the kernel of your idea for writing this book? Well, originally, uh, we were anticipating a presidential election. That whole climate wasn't great uh, uh, four years ago, and so we just assumed it, it might be just as bad or even worse, given all the rhetoric and everything else on both sides of the political uh, discussion and dialogue. And so I thought, hey, put something out there that'll maybe edge the needle in a, in a life-giving direction, especially for the Christian witness. I think gentleness is probably our, the fruit of gentleness, which is the fruit of the Spirit, is probably our greatest opportunity for witness right now. It's not watertight arguments anymore. Uh, uh, because people are just fiercely illogical uh, in their reasoning and in where they land on what they believe. Uh, it's not uh, shouting people down. We've got enough of those voices. Uh, it's responding uh, from a place of integrity, a place of poise, a place that's um, saturated with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So, so I wrote the book in hopes that especially Christians would grab on to a different posture that looks a lot better. Uh, that is a lot more endearing and life-giving and magnetic than the outrage that we've all become so accustomed to and that so many have become so exhausted by. Um, I don't see anybody getting persuaded by the shouting and the calling out and by the canceling or whatever else. I don't see anyone getting persuaded. I just see people getting more emboldened in Right, in it's a rage. lot of noise. Lots of noise. Mm-hmm. So uh, hopefully this, this turns the volume down on the toxic noise yeah. and turns the volume up on, on the things that Jesus said and did that, that did get results. And now a third of the world's population 2,000 years later is following. Mm. Um, so I think we need more of that. And I think Christians are the only people who have the resources to be able to do it persuasively and, go, and globally and uh, all together because we've got the Holy Spirit. Uh, whose fruit is gentleness. Right. You talk about mm-hmm. Christians having the tools, obviously, to be able to lead in this, but mm-hmm. it feels like the church has been on the forefront of mm-hmm. being some of the loudest, angriest mm-hmm. voices that are out there. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Why, why are we in that culture right now? Well, I think we, we may be uh, inaccurately assuming that it is the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be people who claim the name of Christ, but if you throw a noose out on the lawn uh, to hang a politician, uh, that's not really coming from a Christian place, Mm -hmm. no matter who you say you're representing. Uh, We have a lot of people in the Bible who said they were doing and saying the things they were in the name of God, and Jesus called them sons of the devil. And so that's not a a statement toward anybody or a judgment toward anybody uh, in American culture, but we have to get back to a definition of what what the true marks of, of true Christianity are. And again, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, it's, it's the fruit of love in 1 Corinthians 13, right? Where 
we see a very similar list of, of fruit there. And we also hear Paul saying, if, if, if you have great theology, uh, if you're able to prophesy, uh, it just puts you on par with the devil and the demons, right? Because right? Mm-hmm. even the demons believe and shudder. Even the Pharisees and scribes had their Bibles memorized better than anybody. Luke chapter 7, Jesus points to a prostitute and says, Pharisees, scribes, this is your example of what worship looks like. Mm. This is your example of what love looks like. She probably never cracked a Bible open, and yet she knew Christ better than these guys who had memorized the Bible, which is all about Christ. Mm. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, is this Christianity that's getting portrayed in this way? Uh, And we've also got to ask ourselves the question, how have I allowed myself have we allowed ourselves to get our eyes off of where we're supposed to fix our eyes mm-hmm. not on washington dc but on you know of the first century middle eastern uh sometimes homeless uh poor man who never spoke english and yet who thought about the ends of the earth which is where we are right now right uh from a place of reconciliation peace forgiveness grace kindness gentleness and so um I think we've forgotten. I think we've allowed uh, partisan uh, platforms to become our doctrine. Uh, We've allowed cable news pundits to become our prophets. We've allowed politicians to become our Jesus. And um, Jesus isn't about government power. That's not how he came to win the world. Mm -hmm. He came to win the world by losing to the government, uh, by getting crucified uh, by Rome. Never became a revolutionary against Rome. He redefined revolution uh, to, to be not to be dominating other people and, and, and coercive transfer of power. He, he, he redefined revolution uh, by laying down his life uh, to love and to serve and to wash feet. And so I think that's our opportunity. I think the biggest question is, is that appealing to us over here in American Christian world? And I think we've got a lot of idolatry at work and, and a, lot of, um, a lot of internal work that we need to do before we can presume to start going out and changing the culture, because we're not going to do it this way. Mm-hmm. When we so. think about rooting out the idols mm-hmm. in our lives or even seeking to help collectively within our church bodies, uh, what does that look like practically? I mean, you mentioned the Pharisees who, who know their Bible. Uh, and I, I want to be a person who knows my Bible, but I also want to be a person who lives my Bible and who mm-hmm. relies on the Holy Spirit. And so talk to us about what that practically looks like. Of course, yeah. we're in a very different culture. Uh, I think about uh, how to interact on the internet. Like I mm-hmm. wish Jesus was like, here's how you deal with Twitter. <laughs> uh, but he just didn't give us that in the Beatitudes, unfortunately. So how yeah. practically do we do we do that? Yeah. Uh, well, Mary, I don't want to be contrarian, but he did give it to us in the Beatitudes. Well, that's a good point. Uh, yeah. And, and, um, and we've ignored him. Uh, yeah. By and large, we've ignored him uh, because we think Nietzsche is smarter than Jesus. Mm-hmm. We think a will to power is better than a will to love. Yeah. Uh, and we're wrong <laughs> when Absolutely. we do. We're flat wrong when we fall into the Nietzschean Darwinian game of trying to crush our enemy instead mm-hmm. of loving those who treat us as enemies, right? Um, as far as it depends on you, the gospels or the gospel says the gospel according to hebrews i think it is as far as it depends on you live at peace with all people uh and that includes your enemies when jesus said love he didn't just say love people who are like you and think like you and look like you and vote yeah, vote like you he said love your enemies uh and let me show you what that looks like 
yeah. you know, Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot who are fiercely opposed to one another politically and yet somehow figured out a way to live together under Jesus and serve and die together under Jesus in peace. Um, you know, let me, let me show you what it looks like. Uh, all 12 of you disciples who are going to betray me when I need you most. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he gets down on his knees. He washes their feet. Greater love is no one than this. He calls Judas friend, even as mm-hmm. Judas is in the mm-hmm. middle of betraying him. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So even those who aren't going to respond mm-hmm. uh, to our gestures of kindness, uh, even those who are on their way to perish, um, Jesus finds a way mm-hmm. to, to give one last kind, gentle gesture, mm-hmm. uh, even as Judas is about to perish for being the son of perdition. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. So can we, can we let some of that rub off on us? I think that's what Christ would have us do. So, You give an illustration or a story in your book about if you could turn back time and not say the things that you had said to some of your friends. Uh, mm. it, it immediately brought up a, a story in my own life. I mm-hmm. know exactly where I was mm-hmm. when I said something to a guy mm. hoping that my friends would think I was cool because I said that to him. Mm-hmm. And I have thought about that. That was 30 years ago. Yeah. And I still think about it. Yeah. If I could go back and say, don't say that, mm-hmm. or how do I now find this guy so mm-hmm. that I can apologize to him some, about something that happened 30 years ago? Mm-hmm. I think that you and I are uh, similar to a lot of people out there. Mm-hmm. What would you say to people that have a story like ours uh, that they wish they could turn back the clock? Yeah. When you said, if I could turn back time, the share song, (laughs) trying to get it out of my mind right now so I can think to answer the question. I mean, um, sometimes we can reach out even 30 years later and say, you may not even remember this from high school, but, you know, I I publicly humiliated you because I felt privately humiliated and and needed, felt like I needed somehow to protect myself in a world of sharks and minnows and I became a shark and I'm so sorry for that. Will you forgive me? Um, That's possible when we, we, you know, especially with social media, we can, we can find people, right? A lot of the time, but if we can't, um, that person's story is is a story that's being overseen and tended to by the Lord. Mm -hmm. Uh, That person's wounds, just like yours and mine. uh, Cause I mean, we've, we've all got those seasons and memories where others have, have been that way with us as well. And there's no way to, you know, at least from our perspective, mm-hmm. to reconcile it. Uh, you know, we, we, we've got to hope and, and even pray that the Lord will tend to whatever wounds we've created, uh, as well as whatever mm-hmm. wounds we've, we've received. Um, but God's got what we don't. Uh, he can redeem what we can't. And, and uh, you know, that's what a an understanding, a biblical understanding of the sovereignty of God will do for us is, is it enables us to release our guilt and our own shame. I mean, think about all those families that were decimated by what the Apostle Paul did when he was Saul of Tarsus. Mm-hmm. Think yeah. about the shame that he could have mm-hmm. carried around with him. And, and we think that maybe he did, you know, Romans 7, he's just, it's like this guy in the middle of the greatest theological book that's ever written is about to fall apart emotionally because of the internal wreck that he is because of his sin and coveting. But what comes after Romans 7, Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ and nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate you from the love of God. That's Paul preaching to himself. Mm. And, and 
we get the benefit of of his story that can remind us as well. And you can think of King David as well, the Bathsheba incident. I mean, one of his most loyal friends was dead because of him trying to cover himself. I mean, he lives with that memory. We get Psalm 51, whereas there's the hope, you know, have mercy on me, oh God. Right. You don't pray that unless you believe the mercy is there. Uh, and um, so, we, I mean, we, we've got to, uh, gosh, I mean, Satan loves to turn the volume up on, on our shame and the things that we can't change and the regrets we can't undo. He loves to, to just pound in and those negative verdicts, even when we've been acquitted. Um, we get to walk out of the courtroom because the judge has pronounced us not condemned. Mm. Um, a lot of Christians, we stay mm. stuck in the, in the courtroom and we spend a lot of time uh, on one side of the cross, uh, marinating in our guilt and shame, forgetting that there's another side of the cross, which is the resurrection, where we can go out in freedom and mm. know that the negative verdicts have been reversed. They're real, they're true. Uh, but they've also been reversed and undone and absorbed by Christ on the cross. So um, I deal with a lot of shame in my life. So, so this, is a, this is constant self-speak uh, to me as well. Same. Absolutely and I would say same. it's good for you 30 years later to still feel heavy. Like sure. we, we should mm-hmm. never stop feeling heavy about the ways we betrayed the Lord by betraying other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can also be free in that heaviness. Probably has made you more compassionate too toward people who've messed up. Uh, sometimes we'll see yeah probably not <laughs> probably not no yeah no i'm still i oh man probably not mm. uh honestly i i still love to to mm. debate and twist mm-hmm. words mm-hmm. and I, I i like to be the victor in things mm. but uh i think probably my daughter has softened me more mm-hmm. than than anything else which I'm, i'll take right yeah. but um yeah, I, I should be better. I, I told you before we started this that your book was a gut punch. It is. Mm. I did not expect. Sorry, this book. Right, Yeah, exactly. A book on gentleness mm-hmm. to be so great. Mm. It was a. It's a great book. Thank you. So thank you for writing it. Um, you end the book. I'm gonna spoiler alert. You end the book with Saint Francis, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm gonna read a part of it. I'm going to try to. Mm-hmm. Where there is hatred, let me bring love. Where there is offense, let me bring pardon. Where there is discord, let me bring union. Where there is error, let me bring truth. Where there is doubt, let me bring faith. Where there is despair, let me bring hope. Where there is darkness, let me bring your light. Where there is sadness, let me bring joy. Those are great words mm-hmm. by a great man. Mm-hmm. Tell me, what does it mean for you? The prayer of St. Francis mm-hmm. there that you just read, uh, it means everything that I must aspire to and yet that I struggle every single day to live up to. Um, I mean, it's a lot like the Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. It's a lot like the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to never attain it in this life. We'll never get there entirely. And, um, you know, St. Francis, who prayed that prayer and, and who lived it probably uh, you know, more remarkably than most was also a flawed man and also spent his entire life in prayer, you know, right, right. and, and, um, and, and didn't have the family relationships that bring out the worst in us, you know, mm-hmm. uh, he had, you know, the monastic relationships and the pastoral relationships. So he did have those interactions with humans, but I find in my life where it really gets 
you know, into the, the mess of things is in my own kind of ordinary day-to-day family relationships and uh, in leadership. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm 52 years old. I'm, I'm 26 years into ordained ministry. I'm over 30 years a Christian. And some days I feel worse yeah. uh, with respect to those things than I did back when I first became a follower of Christ. Right. And that may be one of two things. Maybe I've gotten worse, which I hope isn't the case, <laughs> or maybe my awareness of, of my need That's for it. Christ yeah. and for grace has grown over the years. I mean, I think of the Apostle Paul, who starts his ministry calling himself an apostle. Later, he calls himself the least of the apostles, then later the least of the saints, and at the very end, the chief of sinners. Was he becoming more sinful? I don't think so. I think he was becoming more virtuous and more holy over time, but also more aware <laughs> of the gap between who we are in this fallen shell that we carry around, this treasure in jar of clay, jars of clay, like Paul talked about, and who we will be um, when we see Christ and become like him because we see him as he is. And so, so yeah, it's something to aspire to, but, but if, we, if we look at that to judge us, we're going to be condemned every day, right? Right. Um, but I find it to be a beautiful thing to aspire to is, is a prayer like that. This is obviously a really difficult time to be a pastor. I, mean, I have a lot of pastor friends. <laughs> Pastors in my family. For what reasons? I know, right? And I mean, their churches are being torn apart, and mm-hmm. pastors are leaving churches mm-hmm. right now. You know, pastors that I thought would be there for years and years are mm-hmm. stepping away. Mm-hmm. What kind of wisdom or, or um, advice do you give, especially younger pastors that are going? You know what? Our, our church is not what I thought it would be because of the vitriol that's going on right now. Mm-hmm. And it's divided over masks and non-masks mm-hmm. and, you know, presidential, all that. Yeah. What, what, do you, what kind of advice do you, how do we lead through this? So from, from what I understand uh, from a, a person who works with churches and does surveys and works with data and such, somewhere around 70% of pastors right now are open to something else and and some of those actively looking for something else either something out of ministry or another ministry just change of scenery i i know a lot of i mean i've i've watched several of my friends over the last year um move on or or try really really hard to move on uh and you know there are, there's a lot of things that are very you know disruptive to community in Christ, you know, and, and again, it's, it's partisan politics um, becoming our religion, right? Mm-hmm. Like if, you know, talking about Facebook, Mary, when, 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 when people scroll through my Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, will it be easier for them to guess what my politics mm-hmm. are or what my religion is? Mm-hmm. Because it's, if it's easier for them to guess what my politics are, then politics have probably become my religion. And, and I think that's the biggest yeah. thing, that's the biggest problem right now in the American church that's creating all this disruption, which actually could be an opportunity for, for next level unity and peace and love. Uh, but instead, we've, we've you know, we, we, again, our eyes are too much on Washington, D.C. Uh, you know, we're looking at Tucker Carlson and, and to, um, I don't know, pick your, you know, Chris Cuomo, to, to disciple us, 
Uh, and, and we're not listening to scripture. We're not listening to Jesus. We're not marinating. Like, 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 like so many Christians in America, not all, but so many could easily recite either the Fox News or the, or the CNN talk points so much more easily than they could recite the Beatitudes. Mm. And that's our problem. That's our problem is we, we want somebody to disciple us who's not equipped to do so. Mm. And who's not interested in doing so, at least not discipling us toward Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, outrage sells. That, that, that's why social media is what it is. Watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix if you haven't, and, and understand how much you are being manipulated uh, to follow your own outrage triggers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are being manipulated and monetized, and you don't even realize it. Uh, because outrage sells. And... You know, Christ and gentleness and kindness, they don't sell, but they do change the world. Uh, they do give you an opportunity to be part of something amazing and historic. Um, so you got to make your choice. And, and uh, I don't even remember your question, except <laughs> that it has something to do with, like, why, what do you say to pastors? And, yeah. and I would say this. I think, I think a lot of us, including myself, we're starting to understand just a little bit what what all of the writers of the Bible understood every single day, that in this world you will have trouble, that, that the life of Christ is not a life of triumph in this world politically. You know, that they, look, they wanted Jesus to be a political military Messiah. That's what they were hoping he would be, and he was a great disappointment. Palm Sunday, that, that's what they're thinking he's about to do. He's riding into town. They're, they're putting you know, palm branches under his feet, and only f- a few days later they're putting splinters in his back. The same people. The same people, because they, they, they discovered that he's trying to win the world through weakness, and nobody wants to have anything to do with that. We want power. We want, we want to win. We want to, we want to take sides. We want to dominate. I, I, again, I just want to say it's crazy-making because this is Christians wanting to follow Frederick Nietzsche, not Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and that is scary. Mm. Um, we need to understand that this Bible that we say we believe was delivered to us by people who were in jail, as they wrote, who were slaves, as they wrote, to their government. Uh, whether you're talking about Moses under, under the Egyptian pharaoh or whether you're talking about Paul under, under the Roman Nero, they are writing as slaves and as prisoners and as persecu- people under persecution, as people who are facing their own execution. Eleven of the twelve disciples died as martyrs. You know, John got spared, so he, perhaps so he could take care of Jesus' mother. Uh, but he died in prison on a remote island because of his faith. And, and we in America, the land of the free, we have no category for that. Maybe we're not as free as we think we are. Mm-hmm. Maybe we're actually more enslaved than, than Christians in China who face persecution every single day of their lives, whose pastors are getting thrown into jail, and we get hurt, our feelings hurt and want to leave our churches because of a tweet. Uh, right. So, you know, we're fragile. The American church is emotionally fragile, is, is my answer. Uh, and at the same time, uh, American sheep bite hard. Mm-hmm. They bite a lot harder than, than the sheep bite in China because they, they, they make mountains out of molehills uh, and, and because they don't have any real m- mountains relative to, to what the New Testament believers and the Old Testament believers were facing what believers in China are facing, what believers in, um, you know, the, the, the more extremist uh, Muslim countries are facing. We've only been given a molehill 
to in, in terms of laying down our lives, right? And so it's it's foreign to us. Not triumphing, not winning in American culture is foreign, uh, in a way that it wasn't foreign to the writers of the Bible. And so I think we need a higher view of suffering and a higher view of weakness and a lower view of political triumph if we're gonna if we're gonna follow Christ well and courageously in this moment. Now, are there reasons to leave a ministry? Yes. If you're surrounded by toxic, biting people, at some point, enough is enough. Um, if, if things have become so distracted in your community as a pastor because of silly conversations about masks, I mean, come on. I mean, how silly uh, to, 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 to make that our litmus test of, of whether or not you know, I'm on your side or not. What's your opinion about masks? Who cares? <laughs> Take care of other people's feelings, even if you don't, even if you don't think, you know, even if you don't buy the medical research, take care of somebody else's feelings mm. uh, who's scared, because there are a lot of people scared. There are half a million people dead. Um, so now I'm getting all ungentle. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of contradicting the subject of the day, but I think pastors need more moral, moral courage. We need thicker skin. Uh, I think sheep need to bite less. Mm. Uh, and so I've wanted to leave at certain moments in the last year, not necessarily because of our people, but just because of, of what COVID has done, mm. you know, or, or at least the optics of what it feels like COVID has done. Mm -hmm. But now I'm starting to feel like maybe we're on the cusp of revival and renewal mm -hmm. right now. Like maybe God's up to something really cool yeah. that, that's around the corner. And so I, I want to be here if that happens. A so. smaller, stronger church. Yeah. Or maybe... Maybe a bigger, stronger one. I don't right, know. Right. Um, I don't know. But yeah. hope to be here for it. That's right. Yeah. Scott, where can our listeners find out more about you? I know that you've got a blog that mm -hmm. you write every week. Um, mm -hmm. Where else can we find stuff about you? So, yeah, that's scottsalls.com. It's just my name.com. And that, that actually includes links to writing, sermons, books, um, the church that I pastor in Nashville, Christ Presbyterian Church, uh, among other things. But ChristPres.org is is the church I pastor, and um, the books are wherever you know Amazon, Walmart, Barnes and Noble, wherever. So, awesome. life, I don't know if they're at Lifeway or not, guys. That's up to you. So, it's up to her. <laughs> they are. They are. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for being here. Uh, Guys, you can also check out uh, discipleology.com, which is where we have all of our episodes. Um, and we will see you next week.